Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. So how is everybody doing? Doing well? Doing well? You know, in my sermons, I like to give a a nugget of wisdom, so I thought I'd start out with giving a nugget of wisdom. Uh, Nugget one, never name your dog with the same letter as one of your children, because I can't even get my kid's name straight now, and then adding another M in there. Maxwell thinks he's getting yelled at, and it's the dogs. (laughs) All right. I don't even know how some of these families, you know, some families will name all their kids with, like, J's or whatever. You're all A's. So she wanted chaos in her life. (laughs) Confusion. (laughs) That's funny. So today, obviously, you could tell, is I want to talk about obstacles to opportunities. All right. I'll start by saying that every circumstance that we face is an opportunity to do something. Actually, the very definition of opportunity means a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. You know, a lot of times, many people are just waiting around waiting for their opportunity to come, waiting for that moment. And literally, the definition of opportunity is a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. Do you like that? (laughs) Meaning, whatever situation you're facing, you have an opportunity. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to respond out of faith or frustration? Are you going to respond out of pain or purpose? With fear or courage, anger or joy? You get the picture, right? If we wait for our opportunity to come, we'll probably be waiting a long time. But if we could take every circumstance that we face and do something with it, Can you imagine what can happen? But a lot of times we miss our opportunity because we're trapped in the the emotion of our present circumstance. We miss our opportunity because we're bent out of shape. Have you ever been bent out of shape? No one knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Been so flustered, been so upset. See, a lot of times we think an opportunity is the magical thing that happens that makes it all better. But really, whatever you're facing, you've been given an opportunity, opportunity to do something. Come on. Aren't you glad you came to church today? 
James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. Say that with me. Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. Now, what? What? Count it all joy? When you fall into various trials? Various. Then it goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I want you, I want you to see this correlation. Count it all joy. Why do we do that? Knowing that the testing of your faith. So what is joy rooted in? Faith. See, if we're getting our joy from how our circumstances make us feel, then that's not joy. Joy is no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're facing, is really a test of our faith. And then it goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, when you're raising kids, that's one of the things that you try to teach them is patience. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? But this patience is actually a little bit deeper than that. It's not like knowing that the testing of your faith can make you wait a really long time. (laughs) I guess it's part of it, but it actually means endurance, steadfastness, constancy, which means faithfulness and fidelity. And fidelity is, it means the same as or equal to the original. Now, I'll probably state my age here when I give this example, but when I used to listen to music, I used to have cassette tapes, right? And the more you would play them, they would degrade, right? They weren't as fresh as they were when the first day that you bought them. And actually, when they put the master onto tape, it actually is degraded. It's not the same as or equal. It's close, but it's not equal to it. And then they came out with this thing called... CDs, right? And they used to advertise them and they would put it on the case. What would it say? High fidelity. Do you remember that? What is that saying? This disc right here is almost perfect to the original. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And now we have MP3s, which is actually perfect to the original because it's just ones and zeros. It's numbers. If you didn't know that. All right. Too much information. Okay. So knowing that the testing of your faith produces fidelity. It produces fidelity. Well, who is the original pattern? Who are we being conformed to? The original. The source of life. Now, now let's read this. Now, my brethren, counted all joy... When you fall into various trials, knowing this is why we do that, that the testing of your faith produces fidelity, that the testing of your faith produces, it actually is the transformation being transformed into the image of Christ. So when we count it all joy, we're entering into the transformation process of becoming 
like Christ. Now, I want to show you a parallel in Scripture. It's Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, remember, when we counted all joy in in the trials that we face, we know that it will produce or it will transform us into his image. Now, let's look at this verse. Looking unto Jesus. So this is our pattern. This is our, this is the original. This is the source. The author and finisher of our faith. Now, where is joy rooted in? Joy is rooted in faith. Now, are you seeing these parallels? This is talking about Christ here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So do you see the parallel between Jesus' response in Hebrews 12 and our response in James 1? It says, brethren... Count it all joy when you're faced with various trials, knowing, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience, which is entering into that transformation process of becoming like Christ. And then in Hebrews 12, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I would say that would be a trial. So Jesus, why did Jesus endure the cross? What does it tell us? The joy set before him. Wow, that's really interesting. So joy is not just a feeling or an emotion. It is a byproduct of faith. What did Christ know about the cross? He knew what it would do. He knew that it would restore man back to God, restore the relationship. Why did Jesus endure the cross? For the joy that was set before him. And how did he know that? Because he was God, obviously. But by faith, by faith. So joy is not derived from our interaction with our circumstances. It can only be rooted in faith. Now, what is faith? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So if it's not seen, that that means it's not present, right? It's not there yet. So faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So joy is prophetic in nature because it enables you to see past your present struggle. I'm going to say that again. Joy is prophetic in nature because it enables you to see past your present struggle. Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever felt distraught? In those situations, did you feel joy? Probably not, right? But joy that is rooted in faith, what does it do? It helps you to see past your present struggle. Come on. And it helps you to see what is to come. Now, from this verse, we know that it's being transformed into the very image of Christ. Remember, high fidelity. 
same as or equal to the original. So joy is the ability to rightly discern your circumstances. And many of us miss our opportunity because we're stuck in the negative emotion of our circumstance rather than aligning our hearts to the joy set before us. Guess what? If all you do is focus on your circumstance and the problem, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be tough. But James says, hey, hey, brethren, hey, listen up. (laughs) Listen, count it all joy when you're faced with these trials and these circumstances. Just because it's a good idea? No, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, which is fidelity, which is the same as or equal to the original, meaning we are being transformed into the image of God. Thank you. So with the right attitude, with the right perspective, crisis is fertile ground for innovation. In Hebrews, it says, look under Jesus. Where does our joy come from? What is it rooted in? Faith. I need interaction here, guys. So where does joy come from? It comes from faith, right? And so so joy comes from faith. And so in Hebrews 12 it, sa- 12, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are you seeing this correlation? How do we get joy when we do not see joy? How do we get joy when we're going through hell? By faith, but it, what does it say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Then it goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So here's an important question to ask ourselves: Why would I have joy in the middle of the trial? In the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the pain. There was an old uh, um, commercial from the 80s. uh, There was this Wendy's commercial. And there were these three old ladies. I don't know if you remember this. There were these three, three older ladies looking at this burger from a, a competing fast food. And they would be like, where's the beef? Right? And then Wendy's was like, oh, we got the beef. Right? So where's the joy in tribulation? Where is it? So Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So there's this common thread throughout scripture that connects our circumstances, the things that we face and our attitude, which is our perception and ultimately our response to those circumstances. John 13, 33. These things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It kind of seems strange, doesn't it? Hey, listen. In this world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trials. But be of good cheer. Why? Why? Why does it say... Because I have overcome the world. 
Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And where is joy rooted in? In our faith. Where do we get faith? Obviously by hearing the word, but it's looking unto Jesus. Are you guys following me? I'm guilty of this too. When you're in the middle of the mess, it's easy to look at the mess. It's easy. But scripture tells us to look unto Jesus because he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? But if you look at the verse before, what are all these things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. And then he goes on to say, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I want you to see this correlation. In both examples, our attitude towards our circumstances is a reflection of the way we perceive Christ. I want you to see this. These things I have spoken to you that in me, who are we talking about? Jesus, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I, speaking of Jesus, have overcome the world. In Romans 8, 837, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it's speaking of Jesus again. So if we see him as an overcomer, we will be of good cheer in the midst of tribulation. Why? Because he has overcome the world. If we believe that we are loved by him, then our attitude in all things and all circumstances will be one of a conqueror. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to have emotional distress or something. I'm just saying, here's the answer for it. I'm not saying that there's not going to be uh, uh, trials in the soul and difficulty and, dare I say it, complaining, <laughs> right? Or questioning. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, here's the answer. Because if we do those things, it will lead us to a place that we don't want to go. You know, I have to put in this scripture for John 10, 10. <laughs> the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and life more abundantly. So if we walk by fear, the outcome is predetermined. If we walk by fear, the outcome is predetermined. How do I know that? John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal to kill and destroy. If we function out of fear, what is the predetermined outcome? But let's look at the positive. <laughs> but Jesus said, but I, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's why in Hebrews it says, look unto Jesus, for he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. Come on. So it is our perception of Christ that aligns a right attitude with our circumstances. Why is this important? 
Because how we perceive our trials, how we perceive our struggles, how we perceive our circumstances will directly affect how we interact with them. If we perceive our circumstances through fear, anger, bitterness, whatever, what's going to happen? We're going to interact with them in such a way that does not produce the fruit that we would like. It might feel good to be bitter at first, but have you ever experienced the fruit of bitterness? It tastes bitter. (laughs) No one knows what I'm talking. I'm just preaching to myself. Don't worry about it. All right. So my question for you is, will will we seize our moment or will our moment seize us? Will you seize your moment or will your moment seize you? Like I said, what is an opportunity? An opportunity is a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. What you going to do? Come on. What you going to do? And I'm, the answer is look unto Jesus. <laughs> But it says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Joy not only makes it possible to rightly discern your circumstances, but now you're able to show an expression of it in the midst of your circumstances. Which is actually a testimony to Christ. Have you ever been at work and people know what's going on in your life and you have a great attitude and they're like, what's wrong with you? Like, how, are, how, how is this happening? Like, I don't get it. I know what's happening in your life, but you're just approaching it in such a, they might not say it like this, but a healthy way, a good way. And what does that give an opportunity for then? A testimony. Looking unto Jesus. Yes, I'm going through hell, but I'm keeping my eyes on the one that can get me through it. So if you're lacking joy in your circumstances, don't seek joy, seek Jesus. Because in your seeking of Jesus, your joy will be revealed. So we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, And faith is the fertile ground that which joy can spring from. Every circumstance that we face becomes an opportunity for transformation. Count it all joy when you face various trials. Why? Why would I even do that? Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. It does not make sense. Oh, he goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces endurance. It produces steadfastness. It produces fidelity, which is being transformed into the image of God. So every circumstance that we face becomes an opportunity for innovation, design, progress, strength, renewed purpose, hope, solutions. The list could go on. But where is our joy found? Or where is it rooted? It's in faith. And where is faith rooted in? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Are you guys getting the point that I'm trying to make? <laughs> so will you seize your moment or will your moment seize you? Whatever, whatever situation you may be facing, you've been giving an opportunity to do something. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do other than look to Jesus. I'm not giving you specific things to do. But I'm saying if you look unto Jesus, it's going to be revealed. And James is talk about, talks about if you lack wisdom, ask. Who would have thought? If you lack wisdom, ask. And God gives generously. He's not accusing when you do. He pours it out upon you. It's okay to say, I don't know. That's fine. But I know who does. And I will say this, isn't it awesome when you get before God and he just shows himself so strong and you're like, wow, that was good, amazing, and it was quick? That doesn't always happen, <laughs> right? It doesn't always happen. Sometimes you got to press in. <laughs> Sometimes you got to get a little uncomfortable Sometimes you got to go on a drive where you can yell, <laughs> you know, shout, whatever. Hear the, be quiet. Maybe you're a talker and God's just waiting for you to stop so he could say something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just giving you options to what could possibly happen. All right. So we need to stop believing the crippling lie that we need to wait for an opportunity to come. If you're in the middle of a circumstance, you have your opportunity. I didn't say it was easy. Right? Well, I, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. So how do we do this? We direct our attention to the joy set before us. Joy is prophetic in nature, and it positions you to rightly discern your circumstances. I love this quote by uh, Chris Vallotton. Happiness, hap uh, no, I'm, yeah. Happiness is an emotional response to life. Joy is our soul's response to our condition in Christ, rooted not in circumstances, but in relation relationship. Happiness is a state of mind. Joy is a state of being. So I want to give you a few obstacles or negative mindsets that, will, that you will encounter when you try to seize your moment. So these are in no particular order, but I'll start with this one. So the first obstacle to seizing your moment is blame. Blame simply means to assign responsibility for a fault or wrong. Let's say you're in a parking lot and someone backs into you. And when the police officer comes, you give accurate information. We'll just start with that. What? You're blaming, right? So blaming in itself is to accurately assess a situation. Assuming the information is accurate and truthful, right? So to blame is not necessarily wrong, right? But when does blame become wrong? 
Blame becomes an obstacle when it demands complete attention. Have you ever been in a situation where there was an incident, there was a problem, and you assign the blame, and it was accurate, but it always stays in front of you. It demands attention. It's always there. It never leaves. It's like, look at me at all times. This is the reason, right? So when all we can see is the wrongdoing of others, blame has taken the attention away from what we have power to change. Come on. What did we just go over? Looking unto Jesus. (laughs) You know what likes to get in the way of your vision towards Jesus? Blame. They are the reason for why I'm where I'm at right now. Blame will become an obstacle when we allow it to assign our responsibility over to something or someone. Blame becomes an obstacle when we look and say, I'm a victim. I have no power to change this. And what do we do? We give all our power over to the situation. And guess what? When we do that, we allow that situation to continue to hurt us over and over again. Because we relinquished our power to do something. So the moment you relinquish your responsibility, your power to do something by blaming other systems and circumstances is the moment you weaken your resolve to do something. Come on. I know that this may be a real shocker for you, but how do you know that you signed over your right to be powerful to someone or something? How do you know when you've done that? Have you ever, like, I'm talking about it now, but you're like, have I done this? How do you know? Well, it's really simple. You feel powerless. (laughs) If you feel powerless, you relinquished or you surrendered your power over to something or someone. And when you relinquish your responsibility to someone else or something, you sign over your right to be powerful. Blame should never release you from your responsibility. Why? Because it surrenders your power to do something. Now think about this. What is an opportunity? A set of circumstances that give you an opportunity to do something. So if you're going to seize your moment, you must direct your attention to what you have power to control. What is the one thing that you have power to control? I have three kids. I can try really hard, really hard. And sometimes it works, but eventually it won't. (laughs) But what is the one thing that that is guaranteed that we have power to control? (laughs) You're really thinking... Connie's really processing ourselves. Yeah. Our power to affect ourselves. So whatever you're facing, you've been given an opportunity to do something. So Philippians 4, 11 through 13. 
Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. What did he say? For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and hungry. Oh, you don't want to see us when we're hungry. (laughs) Both to abound and to... (laughs) Hangry, yeah. That's in the dictionary now. It's a real thing. All right. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it starts out by saying, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Then it ends with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see a pattern here? What is the pattern? Looking unto Jesus. No matter what we face, it's looking unto Jesus. The Amplified Translation says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Sounds pretty good to me. Remember, it's our perception of Christ that aligns a right attitude to our circumstances. If your circumstance is bigger than your God, you will function out of fear and anxiety, which is the complete opposite of contentment. So we see here that Paul's abundant life, his ability to do all things well, was not dependent upon his external circumstances, but rather his personal t- connection to Christ. And I want to I share something that will make us all feel really good about this. Paul's a pretty amazing guy. He, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? So he's got things together, I would say, wouldn't you say? But this is Paul. How does he start out? What does he say? For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Why is that important? He had to lean into it. He had to learn it. He had to posture his heart for it. He had to intentionally ignore the distractions and place his attention on Christ, his abundant supplier. He, that is something that he had to work on. That should excite you people. <laughs> Paul had to work at this. He had to lean into it. He had to press into it. So Paul refused to surrender his power over to his external circumstances. So the first one was blame. So we will never walk in power and responsibility if we, that we have in Christ if we sign it over to blame. The second obstacle is distraction. If you're going to seize your moment, you have to know what's important. You know, the enemy loves to distract us from our true purpose. Doesn't he always like to say, do you know what they're saying about you? Have you seen the news? Have you noticed this? Hey, look at what I'm doing. Look at all the chaos. Look, look, look. Give me attention. Give me attention. And what does scripture say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher 
of our faith. What do you think the enemy wants you to do? Look at him. Look at what he's doing. So the enemy loves to draw your attention to what he's doing. The enemy loves to appear bigger than what he actually is. And if we are unaware of this tactic of distraction, we'll fall for it. 2 Corinthians 2.11, so Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. What is one of his evil schemes? Distraction. So how then do we keep our eyes on Jesus, but not be ignorant of the enemy's tactics? So how do we deal with the enemy, but keep our eyes on Jesus? It's a good question. Where do we direct our focus? And I just want to take a quick moment to talk about perspective. Perspective can mean a couple things, but one thing is an accurate rating of what is important and what isn't. So when you go into the ice cream store with your kids and you're like, what do you want? And you're, you're like, how about like the adult, how about peach cobbler? And the kid's like, no, no, not important to me. Oh, how about butter pecan? That's mommy's favorite. Now, now, birthday cake, right? They focus, their perspective is what is important and what isn't important. Okay, so that's what perspective is. So an example in our natural eyes or our physical vision, it's only a small percentage of your total vision that is clear and in focus. So our clearest vision is where we direct our gaze. So if you could just take your finger and just look at the tip of your finger, this would be an activation that you guys want to do. All right, I'll look this way so I don't see who's not doing it. So look at the tip of your finger and then notice that that's in focus, obviously, if everything's working properly. But all the stuff around it, right, is out of focus, right? Are you guys following me? So notice at a certain point, things become blurry and out of focus. So when you focus on your eyes or when you focus your eyes on something, your brain, excuse me, is making unconscious decisions for you. Did you know that, that your brain makes a lot of unconscious decisions for you? Like, you're not like, I want this to be out of focus. I want this to be. No, we, we direct our gaze and then our mind decides what will be in focus and what, what will be out of focus if everything's working properly, obviously. So you make a conscious choice of what has your attention, but then your brain handles the rest. What does this tell us? That your attention reveals your perceived value. I'm going to say that again, because it was good. This tells us that your attention reveals your perceived value. So what holds your attention holds your value. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what has my attention holds my greatest value. Remember when we were talking about blame? If all we can see is that, what is that saying? I value this the most because it's what I focus on. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it is a spiritual act of worship. So our attention reveals honor and value, which is an act of worship. We'll skip that. All right. Now, in our vision, uh, we'll skip that. We can just skip all this stuff. You, you guys don't need to hear that. All right, where do I want to pop back in? Now, the question is, do we just ignore everything that the enemy is doing? Because if our attention is supposed to be on what God is doing, do we just ignore it? So our peripheral vision protects us from danger. How many of you know, like... Uh, when you're walking or and kids are playing like softball beside you or whatever, or they're just playing dodgeball, and you see this shadow coming near you, you're not looking straight at the ball, right? But you're seeing this thing coming. So it may be a flash of motion or a flying object, and it tells us to act now. So this is Katie's worst nightmare, if you know anything about Katie. She, she hates flying projectiles. So as an older brother, I know what to do to uh, get a rise out of her. Just, just juggle balls around her. <laughs> All right. So 2 Corinthians 2, 11. So, uh, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil scheme, uh, scheme. So we're not oblivious. We're not ignorant. We're not deliberately unconscious. So I'm not a believer that thinks that we should just ignore the devil and pr- Pretend that he's not there, but I don't believe that he should be our focus. I believe that there are times where we need to take our God-given authority and confront the works of darkness. And that, that, is, that is why that we're told not to be ignorant of his schemes. But this is why we need discernment. Let's look at John ten twenty seven. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So if the enemy's over here and saying, look at what I'm doing. Here's a great example. I'm talking to someone after church, and I see one of my children doing something over here. (laughs) And what happens? It takes my concentration and my focus. And so there are times where you have to say, one second, deal with the situation (laughs) and put your eyes back on. So... That's why I said, that's why we need to be discerning. We follow a good shepherd. And so there might be times where he says, don't even worry about it. Don't even go down that road. Don't even focus on it. And then there's times like he says, you need to address this. And that's why we need to be discerning. And so if our, if our life is lacking joy, and joy helps us to rightly discern our circumstances, What's going to happen? We're going to view our world through a negative lens. But if we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, come on. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Where does it all start? Submitting yourself to God. All right, I'm just trying to go through these obstacles because I entitled it Obstacles. So if I don't talk about the obstacles, then all right, I'll just give them to you. They won't be long. 
the third obstacle to seizing your moment is refusal to accept change. Let me say something. Change is going to happen. It's inevitable. Whether we initiate it or it happens around us or to us, whether it's slowly progressive change or happens quickly, change is going to happen. And so, one thing that we also have to recognize about change is there could be things that God is trying to do that he's doing, but we resist because we don't like change. So Jesus, or the Israelites, were about ready to go into the promised land. They send out 12 spies, and 10 of them were not ready, right? God was doing it. He was leading them, but they weren't ready to step into it. And so they had to go through a process, (laughs) Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Did you hear that? God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Palestine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Have you ever wondered why it takes so long? With God, maybe he's not taking you on the shortest route. (laughs) Just a thought. You know, you got to have just the thoughts in there every once in a while. All right. Like I said. All right. And the last one is the obstacle of fear. Like I said before, when we allow fear to control us, it has a predetermined destiny. Thank you, Father. Let's, Let's finish by just... Reading this scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that sin that so easily strips us, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You know, when you read another version that you're, you memorize it's kind of hard to do uh we do this by keeping our eyes on jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honor beside god's throne thank you father lord i just pray right now thank you father thank you father lord i just pray right now That if there's been areas in our life where we put our attention on and we made our circumstances greater than who you are and our focus and our attention has been on those things, God, just forgive us right now. God, we repent for making our circumstances bigger than your power. God, we repent for putting all our attention and all our focus and all our affection on our circumstances when we should be looking to you. Lord, because you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. So, Lord, we just thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name.
Amen. Mom. Wow. Where we put our attention reveals to us what we value most. Look, and you got your arm around. I mean, look, you've got some attention going. This is awesome. I think he values her, right? I mean, how powerful is that? And so at this time, I'd like the healing team to come up. And as they do, I just, I will probably really mess this up, Anna, but I'll do my best. But Anna's father, about 23 years ago, was diagnosed with cancer, correct? Pardon? 11. Okay, so 23 years he had this on his skin, but 11 years ago he was diagnosed with it. And so she's been getting a lot of real negative reports about the result of, you know, how long her father could live, that type of thing. Well... Uh, I sent, I don't know if any of you have seen this, I posted it on the Giving Light Church Facebook page, but it is Kenneth Hagan. How many of you remember Kenneth Hagan? And um, he has an hour of healing scriptures, and it's him speaking those healing scriptures. And when uh, I have faced some things, I just go to bed listening to those healing scriptures. It just uh, stimulates such faith. Well, I sent that link to her. She sent it to her father in the Philippines. And the doctor is amazed because they did not expect him to recover. But he is recovering, right? He's getting better. Come on. That is the power of the word of God. And when the word of God and when truth, when we really place value on the word of God and the word of God has our attention, it positions us to have the fruits of the word of God. So when we have a healing team, this isn't a religious tradition. It is where we're putting our focus on God's promise to heal us. And so, uh, do we have any words of knowledge? Do you have any, Loretta? The right ear. I sense it's, it's not a long-term thing, but pain or discomfort in the right ear. Any other words of knowledge for healing? Um, dealing with uh, nausea and headaches. Okay. So, uh, do you have any? Well, no. Just, just along with what the message just along with what the message said about stepping up and stepping out of your circumstance and let God work through you in a fresh way. Amen. Well, if you need uh, prayer for healing, not just what was spoken, but for any area, or if you just want prayer, feel free to come up at this time. So, Father, we bless them now. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we put our attention on you. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, in Jesus' name. Amen.